stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean sorrows he made them his very own the burden to Calvary and suffered and died
welcome to East Hazel Baptist Church. If this is the first time you've been here, maybe the first time in a long time, inside your bulletin there's a care card. I know I mentioned this uh, probably about a month ago, but if you're interested in church membership or if you'd like to contact uh, one of the staff or if you even want to set up a visit and with me personally, if you will, please fill that out and you can tear this out and put it back there where you place your offering in those baskets. It really uh, helps us to get a record of who's here and who wants to be visited. One thing we promise you here at East Hills Baptist Church, if you visit, we will not show up at your house randomly and do all those type of things. But if you would like to have a visit, please just fill this out and let us know. Also, my number is um, in the bulletin and you can text me or call me. Um, to get a hold of me that way, please don't inbox me on Facebook because I'm not going to read it. But, but this is the best way to do that, okay? Now we're going to ask you, if you will, to stand up, turn to your neighbor and say hello, and let's worship together as the praise team leads us in song this morning.
special need this morning, would you just raise your hand up? God sees hands everywhere. He knows your need. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad? He's worthy of all praise and honor and glory. Father, you see the needs this morning. Father, you don't look at the outward appearance, but you look at our heart and you know where we're at. Father, you know where we're living this morning. It's like David said, Oh God, would you not revive us again? And Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would have the preeminence in our lives. That Lord, that you would rule and reign in our hearts as Lord. And Father, we cast our care upon you for you care for us. And Lord, we're so grateful this morning that, Lord, you gave yourself that we might stand unabandoned and unashamedly to stand before you and proclaim who you are to other people because, Father, you're our salvation. You're our hope. You're our eternal life. You're our peace. You're our comfort. And, Father, we pray for the needs this morning that you'd answer them according to your will and your purpose. And, God, that you'd answer prayer according, Lord, to your heart's desire. But Lord, help us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, Lord, with you. And Father, this morning, we thank you for loving us today. 
Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that we can worship you in song. But Lord, help us to worship you with our heart this morning. You look at our hearts this morning. And Father, I pray you'd use this time for your honor and for your glory. Lord, and for the furtherment of your kingdom, that the advancement of the gospel might go forth and that people might come to know you. Lord, help others to see Jesus in us. Father, forgive us for we failed you and fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit today that we might worship you in freedom, the freedom of the Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have had enough of getting everything we want. We are weary of living this life just for us. Oh, forgive us of seeking your hand and not your face. Come and empty us, Father, we're desperate in this place.
Praise team. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. We're talking about this thought. It's amazing what you can learn from the life of David. And uh, today we're going to look at probably David's highest spiritual achievement uh, thus far in his life is his opportunity to kill Saul, and David does not do that. You've got to remember that. David has been on the run for years. His life has totally changed. And even in this uh, discussion that David has with Saul outside the cave, David says, I've done you no harm. You're not my enemy. And then Saul says, but you're my enemy. Okay? Have you ever sought revenge? Is there someone that you just don't like? Is there someone right now that you're thinking about that you would say, I wish something bad would happen to this person. This person is my enemy. They've done me wrong. You don't know what they've done to me. I've had those conversations with people. All of us by nature, before the Lord saves us, you have this revenge factor in you. I'm a steal. You push me, I just want to push you back. You say something about me by nature, I want to say something back. I mean, it's just by our nature. You've got to understand, David is in a cave hiding with his men because Saul wants to kill him, and then God just delivers him in his hands. What's David going to do? What would you do? He wants to kill David. Kill him. David's life has been uprooted for years. What would you do? Notice what, notice what the king does. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men, the elite of the elite, from all Israel, and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road 
where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Now, did the Lord say that? He didn't. It's, it's amazing how when you're in a cave, all right, be careful where you get your theology. Because God didn't say this, but the men said God said he did. All right? And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him. See, he is, he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants, servants with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Then David arose afterward, went out to the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now let's just stop right there. What great respect did David show this king who didn't deserve any of it? Okay? The question I've asked you at the start is this. Is there anyone in your mind, anyone that you want to see harm come to because they've harmed you, all right? I would encourage you today to repay no one evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. It's not in our nature to do that, but God, people of God's own salvation, who God has saved, God can give you this nature and allow you to do it. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we want to thank you for this tremendous example. Once again, David sets for all of us. Lord, this is just as fresh and new today as it was then. Lord, we all at times struggle with getting back at people. Lord, we may not physically touch them, but Lord, we can ruin people's reputations with just our words. How many of us have been told secrets by people and in order to get back at them, we shared those secrets? Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us not to seek revenge. Lord, help us to be like David. Lord, it's, 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 it's really, really difficult sometimes to leave vengeance to you, but that's what you asked us to do. So, Father, I pray that as this service goes, that we will have the uh, spiritual maturity to set people free today. And then we'll probably find out that we're the one that's been in prison the most. A man in a cave can teach us so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul tells us this in the book of Romans, which we looked at this last summer. Paul makes this statement. He says, repay no one evil for evil. That word repay, if you look it up, that word, and that's what David is, is really experiencing here, repaying is an emotional response to someone because of something they did to you. All right? It's an emotional response when you repay or get revenge. It's typically emotional. It typically happens then. Think about this. David had seconds to decide what he was going to do. Seconds. He didn't, have, he didn't have months. All right? Isn't it amazing? If you live by your emotions, you'll be easily led astray. Our emotions are in as much of a need of transformation as our minds. That's why it's good to give things time, right? Isn't it amazing how you can just snap off and say something you wish you hadn't? You, you can tell a lot about a person by how they talk to another person. You can see where someone's at spiritually speaking by how they respond to someone else. All right, in your marriage or in your dating relationships. You know, do you scream and yell and just say all these bad things to each other? That's an emotional. You're, you're repaying somebody back. And Paul says here in Romans, don't do that. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And then down here in verse 19, Paul says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
That's what David is living out here. David says, I will leave this vengeance up to the Lord. When one person put it this way, to allow an insult or personal wrong to occupy your mind with revenge is like putting a poisonous snake in your pocket and carrying it everywhere you go, to be bitten again and again. However, to ignore it or to respond to it in grace is to leave that snake on the ground where it belongs while you move past it and become free of it. Think of how many marriages are hurting or ended because couples, in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the moment, say and do things that they regret five minutes later. Think about it. That word repay that Paul used, it means this, pay back. It means literally to give back, implying that there is a debt and conveying the idea of an obligation and a responsibility that is not optional. In Paul's context, the idea is to recompense in a bad sense or to reward them back for what they gave us. It's the spirit of saying, I'm going to get even no matter what. Are you currently looking to repay? I would tell you this, don't do it. Learn from David. Learn from David. In this text today, we see David, what, what, what a God, godly person looks like. When they're given this golden opportunity, that it looks like it's from the sovereign hand of God. It looks like it was just, it's like God said, here, David, you know, it'd be so easy to be like his men. His men had been on the run with David. And they were saying, God has placed him here for you, and you take him out right now. But David doesn't do it. We all, by nature, want revenge, sometimes even after salvation. The first thing I want you to notice out of the four things we're going to look at today, notice Saul's depravity. Saul's depravity. I like how uh, Richard Phillips put it. He says, in the first chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul points out that people who deny God do not do so because of lack of evidence. Notice the verse on the screen. They don't do it because of lack of evidence. He says, by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And what Paul is saying is this. It's a principle. There's really no atheists. There's agnostics. Nobody's really an atheist. Because when you just look at the evidence of the universe, of this planet, it's, the logical conclusion is it's started by something or someone. Okay? It's started by something or someone. To, to say otherwise is, well, just nothing happened. We're here. We're the luckiest people in, on the planet. And Paul said even in his day, even those in Rome, they knew that there was something there. But he says this, not only this, he says, but because they suppress the truth in the top verse, they become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's a progression. And what we're seeing in Saul's life is this. In chapter 22, he kills 85 priests. One of the most gruesome chapters in all the Bible. 85 priests in one day and then says, let's kill the whole town of Nob, men, women, children, and all their livestock. And then in chapter 23, guess what God does? He gives him a victory over the Philistines. Imagine David in that cave. Here I am, I've been on the run for years, and Saul's prospering. He's getting more wicked and more wicked and more wicked. And then notice verse 2, what, what does Saul do? Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. What a beautiful place. Look at this picture. Still here today. This is where David was in this area. Okay? This is where the shepherds would try to take their sheep. This is where, if anybody wanted to take a break, you'd go here. And David's hiding out in one of those caverns. Saul takes 3,000 men and says, we, hear, we heard that he's here, so let's go look. Saul is a picture today of everyone who knows the truth of God but suppresses that truth. Think about what Saul had been wasting. Wasting his life. Wasting his life, seeking, seeking uh, David's life because he's jealous. Imagine if Saul would have just repented, because he could have in chapter 22, he could have in chapter 23, he should have in chapter 21. 
Imagine how God would have prospered his kingdom if, if he had allowed David to work alongside him. But he just wouldn't do it. He keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And then he's looking for David. And, and, and he goes into this place. Now notice uh, part two here. Not only Saul's depravity, but notice Saul's disgrace. God has a way of, of getting back. Now notice what the verse says. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave and Saul went in to attend to his needs. Nature calls everybody, doesn't it? At seemingly the worst times. And here David is. I'll go into this cave because you couldn't be there in that camp. Richard Phillips said this, those who trust and serve the Lord have the blessing of knowing that God's saving help is sure to appear in time. Exactly the opposite is true of those who turn their backs on God. They can be certain that the day of God's judgment will arrive, will arrive often in a surprising way. Think about this. This was a day of Saul's judgment. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. God is showing Saul, I can deliver you up like this in a second. You're the king, but I'm sovereign. And, and God put Saul unexpectedly, just a normal day, right within inches of death. That's how God can do things if he wants to. You remember in the Bible, Jesus told the parable of the man who had so much that he said, I'll just tear these barns down and build bigger barns. Then I'll eat and drink and have ease. And Jesus said, you fool. Tonight, your soul is expected of you. God can deliver up unexpectedly. And, and what God does here with Saul is embarrasses him so much that his, this act all right, is in Scripture today, that Saul goes in to attend to his needs. In, in the Hebrew, it said he disrobed himself, thinking that he was alone. And, and here Saul is, and David and his men were standing in the cave, and God, and God just basically, basically humiliates him. MacArthur said, There David and his men were huddled like little mice in the darkness of their cave with Saul's special force units down below. How secure Saul must have felt in his strength. Think about that. He has his own version of the Navy SEALs, and he's just a man in a cave attending to his needs where death awaits him if so David wanted it to happen. God can change your life in a moment. The Bible says, Be sure your sins will find you out. It was unexpected for David. This is the most embarrassing moment of Saul's life and it's in scripture God opposes the proud I would tell you today to repent the Lord's brother says this God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble MacArthur says how secure Saul must have felt in his strength yet even a king must answer the call of nature and according to the Israelite law he's forbidden to relieve himself within the confines of the camp spying a harmless looking cave Saul ambled in to do his business and there sat David unexpected it's much better, listen to this quote, this is for me, it's much better to humble yourself in private repentance than for God to humble you publicly. God humbled him so bad, he put it in the Bible for all to see. Notice what Proverbs says, the way of the transgressor is hard. At an unexpected moment, your life could change. It would have been a good time for Saul to have repented. Chapter 23 would have when God blessed him with the, in the battle with the Philistines. It would have been a great time for Saul to repent. But MacArthur goes on to say this, it's a good time for us to repent. Such is the terrible plight of all who suppress the knowledge of God and spurn his merciful offer of salvation in Jesus. Jesus warned us, notice what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 44. Jesus made this statement, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready, repent. Today is a day of repentance. So we see Saul's depravity, we see Saul's disgrace, but notice David's decision. Notice what verse 4 says. I love how his guys, then the men said to David, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, 
that you may do him as it seems good to you. God never said that. He never did. So you see their theology. What God told David is this. You're going to be the king and I'll protect you. You're safe as long as you're walking in my will. And then we see this. Listen, God's word overrides all your friend's theology. Okay? David was walking in a promise that God gave him. That as long as you obey me, as long as, as long as you are a man after my own heart, you will eventually be on the throne. It took 15 years. Do you trust God's plan for your life? Do you trust him? How easy would it have been for David to act on this? Even his own men who are fighting men. What does David do? Notice in the next verse. David arose and secretly cut off a corner of his robe. You know what that's a picture of? The robe is a picture of your kingdom. And the reason David basically gets upset after that is because what he's saying is this, that's my kingdom. Saul, I'm the king, basically. He cut off that piece of robe, and after he'd done it, he said, I shouldn't have done that. This is God's anointed. He said, I should not have done that. He cut off a piece of the robe, signifying that the kingdom is being transferred. And what, what David saw that was, it was a rebellion against God. Robert Bergen says this, David's confiscation of a portion of the royal robe signified the transfer of power from the house of Saul to the house of David. And David said, I shouldn't even have done that. I shouldn't have done anything. Because this is the Lord's anointed. David knew that Saul was on the throne by the sovereign will of God, and he knew he shouldn't have done this. He knew he shouldn't have. Verse 7 says this, if you'll notice. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way unexpected and unknowing. Man. God was testing David's heart here. Do you trust my plan, David? I will put you on the throne in my time. Saul is not going to kill you. I am your protector. You know what David would eventually write in Psalms? Psalm 20. David wrote this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. And I would ask you this. Do you trust the Lord's plan for your life? A.W. Pink said this. He said, what a severe test for David. One stroke of his sword and he steps into a throne. Farewell to poverty. Farewell to the life of a hunted goat. Reproaches, sneers, defeat would cease. Adulations, triumphs, riches would be his. But his would come at the sacrifice of faith. At the sacrifice of a humbled will. Ever waiting on God's time. At the sacrifice of a thousand previous experiences of God's care. God's provision, God's guidance, God's tenderness. No, even a throne at that price is too dear. Faith for David would have to wait. It would have been easy to justify killing Saul. He was guilty of murder for killing the priest in the previous chapter. It would have been easy to do that. Phillips goes on to say, whether David would, would reign was never in doubt, having, having that God had already promised it. But David would not reign. But, but how would David reign and what kind of kingdom would he produce? His leadership would produce, what his leadership would produce was at stake in this darkness of this cave in Engedi. He realized that it was vitally important for his relationship to God and his future as God's servant that he restrained himself from the convenience and self-serving sins of taking the throne that way. What an incredible self-control David shows. It's amazing to me. He was, he was pressured to act violently. He was urged by his men to sacrifice everything, but David says, no, I will not. The weight of God's word on his soul Gave him supernatural self-control. And I would say this, listen to this. Never lay your hands on the blessings of God that he has promised in a manner contrary to the will of God. God had promised David, I will take care of you and I will take care of this and I will do it. 
And then notice the fourth thing, David's demeanor. We're not going to read all this, but notice verse 8. The Bible says this. David also arose afterward, went out to the cave, called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. Notice how, how respectful he is. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. He bowed himself before the king. I heard a military person say this. We don't salute the person, we salute the rank. And that's what David's doing. He said, David is not bound down to the person, but he's bound down because he knew that God had placed Saul on the throne. In verse 9, David is courteous and kind. He could have easily said other things. What he's doing is de-escalating the situation. Can you imagine how much better things would go in your life, in your life if you'd be a peacemaker with your words? Have you ever been in a situation to de-escalate a situation? I remember years ago, I got a text from the sheriff, and he says, do you know so-and-so? And I said, yeah, kind of. Do you mind going out there? They have a domestic issue. I said, yeah, I'll go out there. So I go out there. You have these officers and this guy. They're just yelling at each other back and forth. I said, you mind if I go in there? Just give me 20 minutes. Just give me 20 minutes. They said, well, he said he's got a gun. I said, the guy can't shoot. I ain't worried about him. So I go in there, and you know what, I talk, what we talk about? The Dallas Cowboys. How about those Cowboys? Man, they ain't won a playoff game in 50 years, you know. Went that, through that whole process. Started talking about his wife. I was looking at pictures, talking about his kids. This, that, the other. The deputies texted me, you good? Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. So I talked to him. I said, you want to do the right thing today? And he says, yeah. I said, you're going to have to go out here and apologize to these guys for how you talked to them. I said, they're wearing a badge. I heard what you said. He says, you know what? You're right. So he goes out there, and he's with the door open. He just apologizes. I'm sorry, guys. Okay. Then he texts me. He says, you know that guy's got to turn himself in. I said, Okay. And I said, you know, the second thing you're going to have to do, you're going to have to turn yourself in. And I said, I'll go down to the jail with you if you'll just turn yourself in. And he said, I'll turn myself in. So what turned out to be this, who knows where it could have led to through de-escalation. When David goes out of that cave, Saul's men are there, his men are here. That's fighting words. And David de-escalates the situation, shows grace to Saul, shows grace to his men. And then guess what David does? Look at verse 15. David says this, this amazing statement. David says, Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of your hand. You know what David says? I'm just going to trust the Lord. God will judge between us all and I'm just going to trust the Lord with it. Can you do that? Can you say that? Can you say that in your situation? I'm just going to trust the Lord. I will, I will give God this thing in my life and I'll trust him. Have you ever been in a cave? Not of your own choosing. See, God may put you in a place to where all you have is his word. And David says this to Saul, I will trust God. If God seeks vengeance, then God will take vengeance on his own. But David would also say this, I will never take the throne until God gives it to me. What an awesome, awesome uh, situation that David has put in. And, and what a wonderful way to handle it. Notice these two things before we close. Vengeance is the work of God. It's not your work. Vengeance is the work of God. It is not your work. Paul says in Romans, never take revenge. Leave room for God to deliver. Leave room for God. That word that Paul used where God uses vengeance or God repays, think about this for a minute. That word translated there used by God, it's a startling word, MacArthur says. It means to personally and accurately pay back. See, when you try to give vengeance, you don't know all the details most of the time. You don't know how to give vengeance the right way. 
What, what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 is this. When God gives vengeance, the word that David used here in the Hebrew as well, is that God accurately and judicially pays back. He's the judge, right? It, it, it's, it's a law term that God will do that in his own time, in his own way, and it'll be perfect. God, God will, when God gives vengeance back, it's, it's, God's vengeance is not a personal vendetta. It's a judicial verdict, and he will carefully and accurately judge the world that way. Do you trust the Lord? I don't know how many men I've talked to that their spouse has been involved in adultery, and the first thing they want to do is go kill a guy. <laughs> Wait, what? You know how many guys I've talked out of doing something really harmful in my 20-some years in ministry? And they would say, what, what would you do, preacher? I said, I, don't, I can't tell you what I would do, but I know what the Lord would want you to do. Let God take care of this. Let the Lord do that. If you're going to seek revenge the rest of your life, I said, just let it go. I said, God, God, God is a righteous judge. That's the word MacArthur says. There's God's vengeance is not a personal vendetta. It's a judicial verdict. And he will carefully and accurately judge the world. Revelation 20 tells us the books of their deeds will be opened, not to see if they're going to be cast into hell, but to understand why. It's a judicial verdict. And God is a righteous judge. Do you trust him? This is a judicial action from the highest court in the land. God can handle his business. Leave him alone. Who are you seeking revenge on? Just give it to the Lord. Just, just let God have it. And then the second thing is this. God's judgment comes unexpectedly. Repent today. Repent. Saul had this moment to repent. And guess what Saul tries to do in verse 20, or chapter 26? Tries to get David again. His whole life is a life of not repenting where God gives him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent. But he will not do it. Do you need to repent today? Do you need to repent today? Because, listen... When David says, be sure your sins will find you out, he lived it unexpectedly as how we can be exposed so quickly. So quickly. So, so many people end up in such embarrassing situations when God gives them opportunities to repent, and today is your day to repent. Do you need to forgive anyone? I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and I want them to play real softly. And what I'd like for you to do is just to bow your heads and close your eyes and think about this for a moment. This is so important. Do you trust God in your relationship with your enemy? Do you? Do you trust the Lord to take care of the situation? Can you pray for that person? It may be a relative, a co-worker, maybe it's a friend. Pray this prayer. Father, I forgive and you fill in the blank. Father, I forgive and you fill in the blank. Father, I will not repay and you fill in the blank. Father, I will not seek revenge against and you fill in the blank. pray, Father, would you give me the supernatural self-control that David had? Father, help me to be a peacemaker with my words. Help me to be a person who can de-escalate situations. Father, give me that self-control that we all lack at times. And then I think the final thing to pray is this, Father, I give this cave situation to you and I trust you with it. 
Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I want to thank you for the life of David. Father, this is a very convicting passage for me. It totally goes against our nature sometimes in our culture. Lord, we're not talking about self-defense and all that. Lord, we're talking about a man forgiving another man. And Father, help us to be a church that loves our neighbors and loves our enemies as well. Father, help us to forgive and help us to set people free today. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with us and Sharon's going to lead us in a song before we dismiss. Before you leave, there's about 40 of you who are going to float down the New River with us today. So, uh, if you will, briefly meet me in the gym and we'll get our riding arrangements figured out and get people on the way. Uh, also, just want to remind everybody uh, about VBS. You saw registrations open, and that's all I've got. So, you guys go be peacemakers this week. And if you need us this week, your church staff will be here in the office. You give us a buzz and we'll help you when we can. <laughs>